0: With that introductory reading, I ask Brother Sam Taylor from the Paris Avenue Ecclesia to come forward to deliver his topic, The Just Shall Live by Faith. Well, thank you very much, and good morning, my beloved brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ and dear young people. My first class yesterday morning... I presented the the thesis of this weekend that to study Zadok, the priest, is to study faithfulness. And as we've looked through the life of Zadok, the priest, we've seen several tests of his faithfulness. We've seen the development of faithfulness in his life. We saw the commitment he made when he celebrated with all of Israel At the coronation of King David. And how he identified with them for three days. Even as at memorial service this morning. We will identify with our Lord Jesus Christ. Who was in the grave for three days. And we saw also how. Zadok the priest. When he didn't. Tell the people about the word of Yahweh. About the law concerning the Ark of the Covenant. And it cost a man his life. We saw his faithfulness. In rising up again. For even though he had stumbled. He was eager. To rededicate himself to the things of God. And it's through that process of rededication. Of offering the best of what we have to God every day. Of sharpening the sword. Refreshing our minds. Renewing our minds as we're told in Romans 12 verse 2. To be transformed by the renewing of our minds. That's how we endure what I believe this class is going to talk about. The, the true test of faithfulness, which is the faithfulness that we have to demonstrate in the last days against the pride of man. Because just before he talked about the emblems in 1 Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul said, For there must also be heresies among you, that they which are approved may be manifest among you. The controversies that we go through, the challenges against the humility we ought to show versus the pride that the world champions, this is what separates the wheat from the chaff and divides the faithful from the faithless. And so, in this reading this morning, we read about one last rebellion, that, was, that occurred in the life of King David. So if you're already there, let's turn over to 1 Kings chapter 1. And to provide some context for 1 Kings chapter 1, we don't see a young, valiant, vigorous King David. He is 69 or 70 years old. And a lot of people in Scripture, even at his time, lived longer than 70 years old. But he had been worn down, hadn't he? He had been worn down by the wars that he waged, not only in the battlefield, not only against giants in Philistines, but he had warred the warfare of his mind and had to go up even against flesh and blood, dealing with the rebellion of his son Absalom. And now we come to the rebellion of his other son, Adonijah. And on top of all those rebellions and the wars that he waged, he had a life of suffering. He lost three sons so far in his life. And this was due to the judgment he wrought upon himself. When, if you remember when Nathan came to him with the parable of the rich man who had many sheep and the poor man who had one sheep. And that rich man took the one poor sheep and slaughtered it. And what was David's judgment on that parabolic man? That man shall surely die. And he shall pay that man fourfold. And when Nathan confronted him. When he said, you are the man. And David said, I have sinned. Nathan said, "Ye shall not surely die. Nathan did not say, you shall not pay fourfold. Because he still had to understand the consequence of of his behavior. And because of that, he ended up losing four sons in his life. The first being the unnamed child that he had with Bathsheba. The second son being Amnon, the one who defiled his daughter Tamar. And Absalom, of course, who we considered a bit yesterday. And then today, today we'll read about the fourth son, Adonijah. And it's here on this we, it's almost as if he's on his deathbed because he's weak, he's worn down, and it's when he was perceived on a superficial level to be at his weakest, we see what Adonijah does in First Kings chapter 1 in verse 5 when it says, Then Adonijah, the son of Haggath, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared him chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. Now, the phrase, exalted himself. In the Hebrew, this particular phrase, exalted himself, it has a more emphatic meaning than other Hebrew words translated as exalted in the Old Testament. This word, if you're into Strong's words, it's the Strong's word H4984, mithnaseh. It means supreme Exaltation. And this word for supreme exaltation is only used one other time in the entirety of the Old Testament narrative. And I want you to keep your finger in First Kings chapter one and turn with me, if you would, over to First Chronicles chapter twenty nine. And as we'll see a bit later in the class, this event in 1 Chronicles chapter 29 we're going to see is almost a direct response to this rebellion, to this act of supreme exaltation that this man sought to display. In 1 Chronicles 29 verse 11, listen to this prayer of David. This is personally one of my favorite prayers in the Bible. And you'll see how this prayer in fact mirrors that of the Lord's prayer. Take a look at verse 11. Thine, O Yahweh, is the greatness, and the power, and the glory, and the victory, and the majesty for all in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Yahweh, and thou art exalted as head above all. That word exalted is that same Hebrew word from 1 Kings chapter 1 verse 5. Thank you very much, Brother Dole. Somebody read my cue. (laughs) So what do we see here? Adonijah. Adonijah put himself on the pedestal by supremely exalting himself. He exalted himself in a way that is reserved exclusively for Almighty God. Man has sought to exalt himself against God for as long as humanity has existed. The flesh is always at enmity with the spirit. And this phrase exalts himself. You might be thinking about a particular New Testament passage about the exalting which occurs in the last days. And if you haven't already considered it, let's turn over to Second Thessalonians chapter 2, please. Because <laughs> it's here in Second Thessalonians. Where the Apostle Paul warns the Ecclesia at Thessalonica about the falling away that would come first, before one would come and exalt itself. Second Thessalonians chapter two, verses three and four. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And what did Adonijah do? He supremely exalted himself in the stead of where Almighty God should be in our hearts and in our minds. And if there's one thing we learned from the lessons of Eli in our CYC class on Friday, (laughs) is that we can't just look at these spiritual heroes and think about all the good things that they do, but we have to look at these flawed figures in Scripture the ones who did wickedly, the ones who opposed God. And by doing so, we look in the mirror, consider our own flaws, consider our own shortcomings. Because when we look at Adonijah supremely exalting himself, we have to recognize that exalting ourselves, it doesn't necessarily need to be in an outward display. It's not always going to occur by saying, I will be king and setting ourselves up on a literal throne. Because the Apostle Paul in other places tells us that you are the temple of the living God. We as the body are the temple of the living God. Our hearts and our minds are the place where God should dwell and reside. And we have to ask ourselves, do we exalt ourselves to the throne in our minds where God should reign? Should God be reigning in our hearts and minds? Absolutely. But when we choose our own way and our own thoughts over God's own ways and God's own thoughts, we say in our hearts, I will be king. I am the captain of this ship. I am the master of my destiny. When we should be saying, God is our king. God rules in my heart and God rules in my mind. And if you go a little bit further down, in, uh, if, you, if you have your bookmark back in 1 Kings chapter 1. We'll just turn back there because we're going to see who was confederate with Adonijah in this rebellion. (laughs) Take a look at verse 7. And he confirmed with Joab, the son of Zeruiah. Now there's a man who you'd expect to be in a... Rebellion based on personal gain Throughout the life of King David Joab had been one who was eager for vengeance Eager for his own prominence Willing to kill his own flesh and blood Even his own cousin Amasa After David had put him in the room of Joab After the rebellion of Absalom Joab was willing to kill him To secure his own power And his own place in the kingdom So you can see how he and Adonijah would get along quite well. Recognizing that Adonijah is a man trusting in his flesh, exalting himself. That's something that Joab could get behind. Not terribly surprised by that, unfortunately. But, Abiathar, the priest, Abiathar, the high priest, he joined to and we saw Abiathar side-by-side side with Zadok the priest all throughout their work together. When Zadok sought to rededicate himself in bringing the Ark to Jerusalem a second time, Abiathar was right there next to him. When Zadok initiated leading the Levites to bring the Ark of the Covenant to comfort David in this time of suffering, Abiathar was there offering sacrifices while the people passed out of the city. They were side by side working with each other as brothers, as fellow laborers in the truth for all the years that Z- Zadok was a priest. And what about Abiathar? Well, Abiathar, he ran to David. Take a look over at 1 Samuel chapter 22. This wasn't a man who was unfamiliar with David unfamiliar with his faithfulness, unfamiliar with David's goodness. In 1 Samuel chapter 22, do you remember what happened here? This is after David took the showbread from his father, from David's, from Abiathar's father Abimelech. And he ate that showbread, which the Lord Jesus Christ referenced in his Gospels. And Saul thought that the priests had aligned themselves with David and commanded Doeg the Edomite to slaughter over 80 of them. All the priests, all their families were slaughtered that day. And in 2 Samuel chapter 22, you have a young man, Abiathar, in verse 20. And one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitab, named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. He was the only survivor of a massacre. And Abiathar showed David that Saul had slain Yahweh's priests. All of his family was dead in one day. Imagine the trauma. Imagine the heartache. And David said unto Abiathar, I knew it that day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I have occasioned the death of all the persons of thy father's house. But what does he say? Abide thou with me, fear not. For he that seeketh my life seeketh thy life, but with me thou shalt be in safeguard. This was a man who took shelter under David's wings in exile and all throughout his reign. They comforted each other. They worked with each other as brothers, as fellow laborers in the truth. Can you imagine how David felt? Can you imagine that heartache of knowing that someone who had been with them so long fallen so far, right at the cusp of a new king taking over a kingdom of righteousness and peace? Can you imagine how Zadok felt? And I think the unfortunate truth that we have to acknowledge here, I think everybody knows that pain. I think everybody knows the heartache and the questioning that comes from losing a friend or loved one to the cares of this world. Everybody knows what it's like when they see that that slow progression. Because it's never just a quick one and out thing, is it? It seems to be a slow backing away. First it stops coming to midweek Bible class. Then they show up at Memorial every other week. Then it's once every couple of months. And then it's you don't see them at meeting for months at a time. And you just have to ask yourself, What are you doing? We are so close to the promised land. We are right at the edge. Don't fall now. And we have to recognize this in our lives that this this has happened to each and every one of us. And so we can feel this pain, not just with the biathar, the high priest. But all three of these men in this verse came from spiritual families. Adonijah, whose name means, my Lord is Yahweh, was a son of David. Joab was David's nephew, being a son of Zeruiah, David's sister. These all came from spiritual families. Nobody is immune to the cares of this life. Nobody is immune to the temptation of the lust of the flesh of the lust of the eyes, of the pride of life. And so we have to ask ourselves, what caused him, what caused Abiathar to fall away? And I think the answer is one that we addressed yesterday morning, isn't it? When we looked at how Zadok was introduced to the record, as a man armed for war, in Numbers chapter 8 we considered how he, the Levites' responsibility was to wait upon the service of the tabernacle, and those words, wait upon, mean to war the warfare. Even though Abiathar was a high priest performing his service, he may have been going through the motions of his service, but he stopped warring the warfare of his mind. And we looked at this yesterday, but let's take a quick look over at Second Corinthians chapter 10. If you recall, this is the the commentary that God has concerning spiritual warfare. And where I want to focus ourselves in particular is verse 5, because you're going to see an echo that's very pertinent to the story that we have in front of us so far casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. But wasn't Adonijah exalting himself right in front of Abiathar the priest? Had Abiathar been warring the warfare of his mind, taking every thought captive By countering it with the word of God. And Abiathar being a high priest. Had that unique relationship with God Almighty. He had multiple avenues. With which he could have found an answer. He could have inquired of Urim and Thummim. The means by which the priest could. Discern difficult situations. He could have prayed to God Almighty. He could have spoken to a prophet. He could have asked King David Himself. Is this your will? But he chose to go along with Adonijah. He chose to go along with the one who exalted himself, who exalted the flesh over God's will. And where did that lead Abiathar? Well, if you look a couple verses down in back in First Kings chapter one, we see where it takes him. Take a look over at verse 9. In Adonijah slew sheep. Now that word for slew, that word is almost always associated with not just killing an animal, but sacrificing an animal. Adonijah slew sheep and oxen and fat cattle by the stone of Zohaleth. Which is by Enrogel, and called all his brethren the king's sons, and all the men of Judah the king's servants. In that stone of Zolaheth, Zohaleth. That place only shows up in this occurrence in Scripture. In that word for Zohaleth, it has a connotation of crawling, like a serpent. The root of that word is often trans; is, is only translated a few times in Scripture, but it shows up either as serpent. Or worms. It's something that is directly associated with sin and corruption and death. And one of two things happened at this point because Abiathar was there while Adonijah sacrificed at the stone of the serpent. Abiathar was either complacent in stopping Adonijah, like Eli's father sat and was complacent, or Abiathar participated in the sacrifices. We're not told which, but either way, it was this moment that he made his choice about who he was serving, God or man. And what does that tell us, brothers and sisters? Well, it tells us that when we cease warring the warfare of our minds, we go down a path where we are offering our sacrifices on sin's altar, the altar dedicated to sin and death. If we stop warring the warfare of our minds, if we stop taking every thought captive by examining it against the word of God, we're offering our sacrifices to sin and death. That's where all of our efforts, all of our energy is going to. And Abiathar knew that the Prince of Peace was coming to claim his throne. And we don't know how soon that is. But he but the Lord Jesus Christ, a greater Prince of Peace, is coming to claim his throne very soon. And we can't fall now. We can't offer up our living sacrifice to the altar of this world and the cares of this life. And we have to ask ourselves, because this is supposed to be a class about Zadok, but as we talked about in the first class, God often sets up a contrast so that we can appreciate the faithfulness, the hope of this gospel, in comparison to the hopelessness of this world. So what was Zadok's response? And with that, I want you to turn with me over to Habakkuk chapter 2. And this is a passage where we get the title of the class for this morning, for our Sunday school, The Just Shall Live by Faith. This is a passage which is quoted a few times in the New Testament. We could take a look at Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. And Yahweh answered me Write the vision. And make it plain upon tables that he may run that readeth it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith and that word just also means righteous. And if you're to look into Hebrew, it'll be very very closely related to the word Zadok, righteousness. And that faith, in the Hebrew that word it literally means firmness. And it's translated in a few ways, not just faith, but truth, stability, faithfulness. Behold, his soul, which is lifted up, is not upright in him. But Zadok shall live by his faithfulness. And the actions of Zadok in this chapter, which we're going to look at, they demonstrate how we ought to live faithfully in the face of false teaching, in the face of the lust of the flesh, of the lust of the eyes, and of the pride of life. What I want us to do, brothers and sisters, I want you to keep one hand over in First Kings chapter one. And then we're going to take a look at James chapter four. And in particular, what I want to do, brothers and sisters, while you have your hand in 1 Kings chapter 1, I'm going to read from James chapter 4, verses 6 through 10. But he giveth more grace. Wherefore, he saith, God resisteth the proud, or the one who uplifts himself, exalts himself, but giveth grace unto the humble, now back in 1 Kings chapter 1, verses 7 through 9, you see that Adonijah, he called people who he perceived to have worldly influence, to be strong in the eyes of the flesh. He called Joab, David's mighty man, who was strong in his own flesh. And then he called Abiathar, man who he perceived to wield great influence, being a high priest, being able to lead the people. But you don't see Zadok called among them. Zadok? And Nathan and Benaiah, those three men, those three faithful men, were not called in this rebellion. They didn't perceive them to have any particularly fleshly strengths. Humility, humility means that we make ourselves teachable, brothers and sisters. When we think there's nothing else to learn, our hearts become hard and we stop warring the warfare of our minds. When our hearts become hard, we stop going to warfare of our minds. So it's so important for us, brothers and sisters, that we always make ourselves teachable, that we always say there's more to learn, there's more to discover. I don't have the answers myself. I have to consult the Bible. I have to consult God's Word to determine how I should work and live and move. And Abiathar hadn't done that. We don't see him consulting anything that would have caused him to say, I need to stop what I'm doing. He had become proud. But Zadok, Zadok was teachable. And in in James 4, continuing a little bit down, submit yourselves, therefore, to God Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And that submitting to God is that next section that we see how Zadok overcame this last trial in his life. Because in every interaction with King David, whether it was taking David's advice about how to sanctify himself before bringing the ark to Jerusalem again, whether it was bringing the ark back to Jerusalem when he brought it to his presence. Zadok, in every interaction with David, he allowed the will of the king to supersede his own. And in fact, the only words that we see Zadok speak in the record, they're not his words. They're in 1 Kings chapter 1. And it's in verse 39 when they finally anoint King Solomon... And Zadok the priest took a horn of oil out of the tabernacle, anointed Solomon, and they blew the trumpet. And all the people said, God save King Solomon. Long live King Solomon. Those were the words that David told all the people to say. And Zadok being there would have said that. Those are the only words by inference that we ever see Zadok say. Not his own words, not his own thoughts, but the thoughts and words of his king. And that's what it means to submit to God, brothers and sisters. It means to let God's will supersede our own, to let his words be our words, to let his thoughts be our thoughts. And we remember, brothers and sisters, the way that the Lord Jesus Christ surrendered his will in the Garden of Gethsemane, don't we? When he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. In that ultimate display of surrender, of surrendering all pride, all flesh, and letting God's will completely dominate his thought and his being. And what about drawing nigh to God? Well, in 1 Kings, when David said, Call before me Zadok and Nathan and Benaiah, yes, they appear before the king. And how do we come before our king? And I believe the answer for that is in the words of another Old Testament prophet. So why don't you turn with me really quick over to Micah chapter 6. And this is a passage that we might be very familiar with. In Micah chapter 6, we're going to look at verses 6 through 8. Read what Micah has to say. Wherewith shall I come before Yahweh and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Will Yahweh be pleased with a thousand rams? Or with ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? No. No. This is how we come before God. He hath showed thee, O man, what is good and what doth Yahweh require of thee but to do justly, to do righteously and to love mercy and to walk humbly before your God. How do we draw near to God? We do so with a humble spirit. We do so understanding that we come to God to seek instruction, to seek guidance, to let His Word direct our thoughts. That we trust in Him with all of our hearts and lean not on our own understanding. And what about those clean hands and pure heart? Well, brothers and sisters, to have clean hands and a pure heart in James chapter 4 is contrasted with being double-minded. And remember, from his figurative baptism, Zadok was aligned with those who had a perfect heart, who drew before David when he was crowned as king. From his figurative baptism, Zadok was in league with them. And when we... Went through our hymns last night, brothers and sisters. We did Hymn 379. And his sister write it pointly out that Hymn 379 directly took from Psalm 24. Who shall ascend the hill of Yahweh or who shall be in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart is Psalm 24, verses 3 through 5. The reward for drawing unto God with a pure heart A humble heart is to be in God's holy place. And then in James chapter 4, verse 10, humble yourselves before Yahweh, and he shall lift you up. And Abiathar had lifted himself up with Adonijah, who supremely exalted himself. And what happened? Well, what happened as Second Kings chapter 2 happened? Solomon was king. And Solomon, in order to establish peace in his kingdom, well, he first had to get the wickedness out of the kingdom. In First Kings chapter 2, look at verse 26. And unto Abiathar the priest said to the king, Get thee to Anathoth unto thine own fields, for thou art worthy of death. But I will not at this time put thee to death, because thou bearest the ark of Adonai Yahweh before David my father, and because thou hast been afflicted in all wherein my father was afflicted. So Solomon thrust out Abiathar from being priest unto Yahweh that he might fulfill the word of Yahweh which he spake concerning the house of Eli and Shiloh. And then if you go down to verse 35, after Solomon thrust out Abiathar from being priest before Yahweh, who takes over his office? But Zadok. And we have to remember, brothers and sisters, that we can't be found enjoying the cares of this life, doing what's right in our own eyes. Because back in 1 Kings chapter 1, we saw that they were eating and drinking in First Kings chapter 1, verse 41. Now, where have we heard about eating and drinking before? Particularly with association of the last days? If you will, turn with me over to uh, Matthew chapter 24. Because here in Matthew chapter 24, (laughs) we remember the days of Noah and the days of Lot, for as they were eating and drinking, they were feasting and celebrating in the cares of this life, and then judgment came upon them swiftly and terribly. And what about verse 45? Actually, we'll start with verse 44. Therefore, be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord has made rule over his household, to give them meat in due season? Who will be the faithful servant who God puts in place to teach his people with the milk of the word, with the meat of the word, enacted parables? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Verily I say to you that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. And what happened when Solomon saw that Zadok was a faithful priest? Well, he thrust out Abiathar. And he made Zadok ruler, the high priest. But what about that evil servant? When he says, my Lord delayeth his coming, he begins to smite his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunken, even as Abiathar eat and drank with Adonijah, offering his sacrifices to the altar of sin. And what happens in verse 51 of Matthew 24? It's not immediate death. He shall appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. And there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's that rejection, re- Rejection. it's that being thrust out. And that's the warning to all of us, brothers and sisters, that if we are not faithful in these last days, before the Prince of Peace establishes his kingdom, we will be thrust out from his presence. To bitterly reflect on our shortcomings and how we could have been faithful how we could have said the words of the kings from our mouth and thought the thoughts of the kings in our mind. But Zadok, he humbled himself and he exalted Solomon as king before all the people and in his mind. And the prince of peace exalted him to the high priesthood. And I want you to turn with me very briefly over to 1 Chronicles 29. This is the chapter where we considered this direct response, this stark contrast to the supreme exaltation of Adonijah in 1 Kings 1 verse 5. In 1 Chronicles chapter 29, we don't see a bedridden, decrepit, spiritually weak David. We see a David who's ready to pass on the kingdom to his son. Strong in God. Strong in his faith. And we'll take a look in particular at verse 22. And look at this contrast. Those who were eating and drinking with Adonijah before sin's altar. And now we're here in 1 Chronicles 29. We see that they ate and drank before Yahweh. On that day with great gladness. And they made Solomon, the son of David, king the second time. And that's how we know that this event happened after 1 Kings chapter 1. Because Zadok had already anointed Solomon to be king before all the people the first time. This is a mirror of the kingdom, isn't it? The prince of peace is on the verge of receiving his kingdom. About ready to establish his temple in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And all the people are gladly rejoicing, mirroring that celebration that we saw with the coronation of David in 1 Chronicles 11. And eating and drinking before Yahweh. This is the marriage supper of the Lamb, isn't it? And Solomon, anointed king before all the people. And then look what happens here. Solomon was anointed to be the leader, the chief governor. And Zadok to be priest. Zadok was anointed why was Zadok anointed? Well, he was consecrated there for the high priesthood. But I think there's also a greater principle there as well, brothers and sisters. So I want you to keep your hands there. Actually, you don't need to worry about keeping your hands there. Let's just turn to Psalm 45. In the, Son of, the Psalm of the Sons of Korah, This psalm speaking of the beauty and the splendor and the terror of the king. We're going to take a look at verse 7. Thou lovest righteousness and hatest wickedness. Do you remember what the fall of the house of Eli was? Eli loved righteousness. He loved God's ark. But he couldn't bring himself to hate the wickedness which resided in his own sons. Because of that, the house of Ithamar, Eli's sons, even Abiathar, lost the priesthood. Thou lovest righteousness and hatest wickedness. Therefore, God, thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And this is something that can apply both to King Solomon because... When you love righteousness, peace will follow. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1 and 2, that Melchizedek, first by interpretation, king of righteousness, and then king of peace. And in James chapter 3, that wisdom is first pure, then peaceable. That this could apply to Solomon, and this applied to Zadok, who loved righteousness, who loved following the decree of his king, and he was anointed above his fellow, Abiathar, who would soon be thrust out. And by anointing Solomon, he helped fulfill the prophecy by anointing the king whose rule he'd minister under the rest of his mortal life. And in this psalm, there's a very peculiar reference to the priesthood. Scroll down a little bit further, if you would, to verse 14. And this is about the king's daughter, all glorious within. Her clothing is of wrought gold, symbolic of that immortality. She shall be brought unto the king in raiment of needlework. Now, where have we heard of that word needlework before? This needlework, the root word of it, if you don't have it in your margins... Turn with me over to Exodus chapter 28. And take a look at verse 39. And to give you some context, this is about the attire of the high priest. And thou shalt embroider the coat of fine linen, and thou shalt make the miter of fine linen, and thou shalt make the girdle of needlework. It's not the same word. This is a root of the word needlework, which is used in Psalm 45. But the principle is consistent, that the bride of Christ will be presented to the king in a fashion of an immortalized high priest wrought in gold symbolic of immortality with that curious needlework that was found in the attire of the high priest in the girdle ready to stand and minister before Yahweh not just for a temporary season but for a lifetime and brothers and sisters in our exhortation this morning we will look at the reward of faithfulness in the kingdom age but let us remember to stand and be faithful to God in our time today because it's only through being faithful to God in his holy things and not looking to our own strength or our own wisdom that we will be rewarded with that priesthood that is not just for, a life, for our mortal lives, but for eternal life. And to close, brothers and sisters, I'm going to read from Revelation chapter 22 in verse 11. this final vision of the kingdom, this final vision of New Jerusalem. For those who will be immortalized priests, who no longer, are have, who no longer like the high priest bore the gold plate that said holiness unto Yahweh on their foreheads, but their name shall be on their foreheads. And what's the plea? He that is unjust let him be unjust still. He which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still.